The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. Along with me, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And along with us is the third N that we have been looking for for all this time. We have been searching. It's been the N and N show, but really it should be the N and N and N show. And thank goodness, Nate Geary is here with us to join to, to to make the band complete so you could call me the mayor of flavortown because i am bringing the third <laughs> n in triple n that's uh, right triple n here live at uh, kelly's corner double k double you k wanna, you don't want to triple n yeah but you don't want to go to three k's no. that's very that's, you want to avoid that at all costs yes so luckily we have three n's and two k's that's right and we are going to be smashing some wings some fingers and some beef on weck and uh, this is great. We we did a food pod last year, several food pods last year, with notable uh, Buffalo media personalities. And Nate was gracious enough to have us on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR this morning. So if you guys haven't heard that episode, you can go to the Sports Talk Saturday podcast in your favorite podcast app, or you can go to radio.com. I think the rewind function will be available for a period of time, or... I don't know. How else can they get the audio, Nate? WGR550.com, on-demand audio. You scroll down to Sports Talk Saturday. It still says with Sal Capaccio, but it it's me. So that is the uh, the spot you want to go to at WGR550.com. It's now WGR550. 
550.radio.com. Um, but uh, once you type that in, you should get you right to the website. And yeah, you can check on demand audio there. Three hours of uh, what I call uh, radio gold, uh, where we really just broke down everything that there is. I, I, honestly, we probably could have filled a six hour slot um, with the level of uh, just of information that we were trying to convey. We right at the end, of course, Bruce comes in with the uh, the quarterback talk, which was, of course, kind of a on my list. And uh, it, it just fell um, down the hierarchy of where the show was going. But um, yeah, you know, it ended up being a really great show. And uh, I, like I said, I, I truly think we could probably have turned that into a six hour segment and not have uh, any trouble filling time. You can make an argument we could turn just the quarterbacks mm. into a six hour segment, given the fact that whenever you're not really sure whether or not you are binarily in the franchise guy or not in the franchise guy, you have a lot to talk about. Either you're looking for him or you're hoping the guy you're you in have that purgatory. becomes one. Yeah. As long as that is the case, the quarterback will be a heavy conversation. It feels like it's been a heavy conversation in Buffalo for 25 years. I mean, as long as I can remember. And, you know, one of the things that I, I found unique about this is I, I think what makes Josh Allen, what makes this era of Bill's football so unique is the level of scrutiny that he was under from not only the moment he was drafted in Buffalo, but really um, the moment his senior year started. Well, in this case, his redshirt junior year started at Wyoming. Is is he was such a highly touted player um, after his first season at Wyoming, and and was talks if he had come out, he might have been the first quarterback taken in that draft. And to to think about what had happened, the 180 that had happened um, with Josh Allen, yet still found himself a top 10 pick. And it's, it is funny how um, this particular regime, and I know we talked about this on the show, is you know I think maybe more than other regimes seems to find a, 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 a certain pack uh, of skills that they really uh, they look for in each position. And they draft based on skill set, um, not necessarily production, which um, I don't want to say is a far cry from what the previous regime and Doug Whaley did, but I do think it is a little different in terms of sort of how they believe they want to find players they seem to go after traits which can be a bit of a task in the NFL and it's not always going to hit but if you know what you're looking for in each particular position which I think they knew what they wanted at quarterback and I think if you look back at that draft between the four guys five guys taken um, really sort of at the top when I'll, I'll, I'll lump Mason Rudolph into that group as well. Um, hard for me to say that out of the five guys, the, you know, Rosen, Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson, I, it's hard to ignore what Lamar Jackson did in the second year, obviously wins an MVP, but, you know, I look back at that draft, is, is there is there a guy you'd rather have in this position um, than Josh Allen? And, and uh, remarkably, two years in, I, I find myself saying no. Um, you know, I, I find myself looking at what Baker Mayfield has done on and off the field in Cleveland, thinking to myself, eh, maybe the Bills dodged a bullet. And, and I looked at myself and, and, and the tumultuous start that has been Sam Darnold. And, and I keep going back to the, the, the level of trust in this organization, but I think the stability here. No rightful person that has looked at this Bills team in the last two decades would say that's where a young quarterback should go to thrive. And you look at New York and you see that I don't think anyone would argue Sam Darnold was the better prospect of between him and Josh Allen. And yet their pro careers right now are on two different paths. And it's really interesting to find out just what it takes. It, t- it truly takes a family to raise a quarterback. Um, and you're seeing the fruits of having a the right family system in place here in Buffalo to get the most out of their quarterback. It's clear the organization believes in the, the family. It believes in the structure they built around it. And one of the things that's evident when you want to use that as, as a kind of backing up your point is that 
if you look at the first-round picks of this regime so far, they're freaks. Yes. Tremaine Edmonds is a freak. Ed Oliver is a freak. Josh Allen's a freak. And one of the things that I think is going to be really interesting about this particular draft is you can make an argument going into this year. Okay, look at the RAS scores. Like, look at the spark scores yep. of these players and how ridiculous they are. Is that just because we were drafting really high? Or is that a, hey, we trust the family, like you said. We yeah. trust the village so much that we're willing to take crazy athletes and just trust that our coaching staff and our organization can turn them into really good football players. Part of the things I think to consider about that is that whenever we picked in the 20s, we picked Trey White, mm. who was not a freak. Trey White was... He was not as much of a freak as you would think Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds. You wouldn't describe them in the, right. in, the same, in the same category. So, you know, it, it depends, I guess. If we stay at 22, you know, there's a lot to be learned, obviously, whenever this goes. One of the things that I want to talk about today, though, is your experience, Nate, with what you do at WGR and the things that you... You know, things that you've been able to be a part of and all that. I think that people might be a little interested in that, and that's part of what we do on these food pods. Mm -hmm. So, first off, you do the Sports Talk Saturday stuff at WGR, mm -hmm. and you do the you do the Bills pregame show now with Joe DiBiase and Sneaky Joe now that uh, Howard is no longer doing that mm -hmm. on, the, uh, on Sundays. So, with that being the case, and it sort of being something you do on the side, as well as the day job that you have, is that something that you are open to changing in the future? Do you like the current arrangement, or what's your situation there? Yeah, you know, I I, I certainly don't mind the situation. It, it, to give people a little background, so... You know, radio is one of those unique industries, um, like print media, that um, I think most people would argue is a sort of dying breed of media. And, uh, you know, what we're doing may be the future of how people consume um, and listen to sports talk. And um, I think the thing that makes me unique is I'm kind of broaching both um, generations in that aspect, where, um, you know, I, I think for the most part, you know, if, if, if I were to... You know, when I was a single man um, and, you know, I, I was introduced to parents, for the most part, I could almost guarantee that the father and grandfather would know exactly who I am. Um, and it's funny to think about because that's my, you know, the, the people that listen to me are, are generally speaking uh, my dad and my grandfather's age. And so thinking about that and think about who I, I'm sort of talking to when I am talking, it's interesting to, to sort of think about the how my progression from being a board operator um, to being an on-air personnel in five years has sort of changed the way and my approach. And, you know, I, I would think that I'm not kidding anyone or myself to say that, you know, I'd love a full-time gig in this industry. It's, um, I love what I do. It's why I have a full-time job and I do this on the weekends. And I've been, my Saturday as a young adult in my mid, mid and late 20s um, have been consumed since the age of like 21, since my legal drinking age, every Saturday morning from 6 a.m. until 2 um, has been consumed by sports talk. And then, um, you know, you start to layer in those, those Sundays and, you know, during the football season for 17 straight weeks, I'm, you know, seven days a week. And I'm, and I'm working my full-time job and then I'm coming in on Saturdays and then first thing on Sunday and I'm there till 9 p.m. on Sundays. And, um, you know, you kind of have to really love it to be able to do that. Would you say that your notoriety is 
surprisingly with an older generation. I mean, WGR is, you know, kind of the only show in town. Yeah, that's right. As far as the the sports talk on the on the actual radio you know there is a, a podcasting is blowing up right that's where that's where we come from where bruce and i have made our hay so to speak so but with wgr i mean i guess the fan a little bit you know they have they have mm-hmm. one local show that i know of uh, they used to have two i would i'm kind of surprised to hear that you're not you know even amongst people our age that you're not more I don't know, more of a known commodity, I guess. So, you know, the the thing that I find um, most interesting, and, you know, my come up, um, really a lot has to do with the guys at Cover One, particularly Eric Turner. Um, Eric and I uh, met each other really as his site and his sort of his ideas started to really blossom into something that people wanted to consume, right? Um, you know, when I think I started with Eric, I think he had, you know, a couple, 2,000 followers. Um, you know, that has turned into something really great, and, and I'm really proud of Eric and everything that he's been able to do over Cover One, and I think that really got me my foot into the community of people that consume Bill's media and consume Bill's content, and um, it, it sort of helped me distinguish myself from maybe the other people on the station, and there's no doubt that, you know, me being one of the younger on-air personalities, Joe DiBiase, he's a little couple years younger than me, so he's technically the youngest on-air. But between the both of us, um, you know, we're 20 years younger than the next guy kind of in line. Um, and that's, that's meaningful to me, you know? I mean, it's not exactly an industry that is cultivating young talent um, at, at a high pace. So, yeah, you know, I, I think what, what's interesting about the demographic of this whole thing is I, I think that for the most part, there's been one type of media, one type of specific type of coverage that the team has gotten. And, and I think what I bring to the table, maybe more so than guys who are sort of embedded into the sports radio scene is I don't come from a background of sports radio. I come back for, uh, from a, a background of film and I come from a background of podcasting and I think that does make me a bit unique when you look at the sum of the other on-air personalities at our station Um, and you know my thought process has always been what could I bring to the table that allows me to be a little different Um, and I thought that the knowledge of the game and me have played quarterback basically my whole life um, from the age of seven until um, my last year of college football which was my junior year um, you know the things that I sort of picked up along the way and you know and and some people you know obviously might scoff at oh what what could you possibly know more than the average fan playing little league and high school varsity and and, and a little division three football and you know I, I actually go back a lot to my experience in college we we had the the luxury of having a legitimate division one coach uh come into our program become our offensive coordinator um and really mentor the quarterback room and learning from him and this is coach greg forrest who uh was the quarterback coach at the university of cincinnati with tony pike won a sugar bowl um came when you come into buff state with a sugar bowl ring and the resume that he did you automatically earn the respect of the people around you you know and one of the things that he really focused and honed me in on was this is how you watch yourself this is how you critique yourself and i I never really learned anything quite like if I'm watching something, what am I really watching? And, and I think that knowledge has allowed me to maybe bridge the gap between people that talk 
takes and actually talk substance. Um, not that, you know, people at my station don't have substance. I just, you know, I, I think for a certain extent, Sal was the only real guy there that's a football guy, right? Like a guy that could really talk about the X's and O's of the game, talk about nuance more than just takes. Um, so I think because of that, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of gravitated towards the older generation. Having said that, there are plenty of young people um, that like to listen to people that look like them, that sound like them, that are the same age as them. And I think that's maybe where I can sort of play to both parties. But it is interesting how the dynamics of that station have grown even since I've been there for five years. Things have changed significantly. Um, you know, the, Howard's no longer part of the game day um, broadcast, which is a big change for people who have for 20 whatever years listened to the same guy on Sundays. And, you know, the cool thing is that we were kind of embraced with open arms by people who were not necessarily keen to change and radio can be interesting like that like change isn't always accepted in your personalities like if you like a guy if you really like Colin Coward you really like Colin Coward and him changing would be a or just a kink in your a wrench into your uh, into your gear so yeah it is really interesting how the development of the station and the personalities and like you guys like like adding in real organic competition has in return forced us to be a better version of ourselves did you so you grew up in Buffalo? You're from Hamburg, mm -hmm. you yep. said. Okay. Did you grow up a like a genuine Bills fan yourself? So, um, interestingly enough, played at Frontier High School in Hamburg. Um, the south end zone of my high school football field, you could see the lights of the Ralph of, of at the time, the Ralph Ralph Wilson Stadium. Um, so yeah, I mean I grew up a diehard fan. I, I, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you a, a quick snippet of how diehard I was. I bawled my eyes out in absolute happiness when the Bills drafted Willis McGahee. I was like, I was like, I jumped. I was in, in happiness tears um, for whatever reason. I just really wanted Tom Donahoe to draft Willis McGahee. And um, so that, yeah, like, you know, I, I, I go back to um, my first real memory, unfortunately, was the Music City Miracle. I'm 28 years old. Um, that's my first real cognizant memory. I can go back about a year prior when Doug Flutie um, in the playoffs, I believe it was, beat Jacksonville. I could go back to that. I believe that's 98. Um, so I, I, I was at that game, so I can recall it only because it was a, 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 a real tangible experience for me. But yeah, I mean, 99 is my first real season as sort of that diehard fan. Um, watching my dad consume that game at the end of the game was really almost jarring for me. I've never seen my dad so upset at something. And I'm like, wow, it, I'm not going to piss you off ever because <laughs> holy hell, you you really animated. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's... It's funny how you're, you're, you know, being a fan of the team, what makes this job really cool is that I started as the fan listening to Chopin Bulldog, listening to Howard. Um, so that, that's what really makes that cool. So, you know, radio, I think, WGR specifically, and Sal, Sal plays in this space too. Mm -hmm. and, and, and some other people, I think, who maybe are beat reporters or do other things, they have to, they have to balance this a little bit differently. But being a fan and also being a member of the media mm -hmm. however you want to describe it right i mean i think whenever you are on the local radio it's a little bit different expectation than like what they would probably expect of sal now that he's in the locker room sure yep. right and what they would expect of guys like joe Biscaglia when he was with you when he was with wgr and all of the other beat reporters that are on the buffalo media scene there is this there there's supposed to be or a lot of people talk about how there has to be this separation yep. of your fandom and of you being a member of the media. Do you find, 
again, with the things that you do, do you find that you do have to put on different hats? Can Do they coexist simultaneously for you? What What is that? How do you think about that so, whole thing? I, I, I love the question. I, I think, you know, we are at WGR in, in, in a very unique situation, and me in particular, because I think about it this way, guys, right? Like, when you think about opinion radio, when you and that that's what we are, and, and, and sometimes it is it doesn't exactly register with people that I don't report the news, I don't break news, um, it's not my job to write the news, I don't write pieces that are news. I am 150%. Uh, 200%. I'm opinion based. Um, and sure, there always has to be a level of independence when you are reporting. Um, however, I don't consider myself in that realm. I am not a John Warrow who is, you know, he is a news reporter. He works for the Associated Press. There is very little room for opinion to make it, make its way into John's job. Um, and, and, you know, I'll say, by the way, even though John and I have had our scuffles, I do really believe he's one of the best enterprise writers you can find. News writers that are writing news and, and breaking news and things like that. He is very, very good at what he does. And, you know, Jerry Sullivan, very, another one, right? Like, Jerry was sort of this villain of Buffalo sports fans, but in, in all reality, what he was doing is not putting a local spin on it. He was reporting the news as it happened. And I think the, the, the thing that I enjoy about my job that I don't know I would fully be able to embrace in a print media job or in a news job is that I'm not allowed to show emotion one way or another. I can't be pissed and I can't be elated. And what I love about my job is week to week, you know, I can I can feel emotion about a game, about a play, about a player, um, you know, convey that emotion to my listeners and have them say, Nate, I feel the exact same way. Or Nate, you are just, you're, you couldn't be more wrong on this. And I love that during the course of a, of a post-game show, I can sit on there and say, man, I'm just, hopping mad about this loss or man I'm super pumped that the Bills were able to pull that game out and and convey my opinion and have my fandom show and not feel like I'm vulnerable or not feel like hey this guy's just a hack or he's just a um, he's a homer and I think my my ability to still be a fan actually helps me take away the thought that hey this guy's just a homer he's just a fan like I was and I am, and I pride myself on being critical when it's necessary. When it calls for, for critical analysis, I have no problems taking off my gloves and telling it exactly like it is. But I'm also the guy who, if I'm proven wrong in a situation, I have no problem being that fan, being the quote-unquote homer that, that I'm accused of being. And it's always funny on Twitter because you uh, you criticize or you rightfully criticize or critique parts of the game or parts of the team and you're this Debbie Downer, you're so negative, Nate, you're this and that, where I've literally in the same breath been called too negative but also a homer. And it is funny how that works, but at the end of the day, that comes along with the territory of being opinionated. A negative homer. A negative homer. <laughs> That's, That's uh, Jerry Sullivan. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> exactly right. We'll drink to that. Right? We'll drink to that. Yeah. With the, whenever you get to participate kind of in the catharsis mm -hmm. of what it is like being a fan, and you have to, you know, all of WGR shows, I believe by choice, take callers. Mm -hmm. And so callers are often coming with maybe a little bit less either. I mean, this is, this is, a, this is a generalization, 
But there's a running joke around everybody who plays, you know, some sort of content creation or even is just well read on the things that happen in the Buffalo sports news world, whether it's online and the blogs or in message boards or Twitter nowadays, right? People make fun of WGR callers, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of times people call in, they don't have particularly well thought out for fleshed out ideas, or they have ideas that you know, the rest of us consider a little bit zany, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, and having to screen that and interact with that on a weekly basis or more regularly, whenever you're doing, you know, multiple shows, if you're filling in and whatnot, how do you how do you approach the perspective of having to deal with callers knowing I'm sure what that perspective is and what that opinion is? Yeah, I mean, it's part of the job. And, you know, I since being on the other side of that has given me a slightly different view on it than, say, someone who, um, you know, maybe wasn't a fan and listened to talk radio before he was a person or he or she was a person that was in talk radio and, and, and a personality. And. You know, the, the interesting thing about callers is you're right. They, they do tend to get like this bad rap or be, or be um, considered a joke. And one of the things that I always tell people um, when they're like, yeah, you know, I've thought about calling in, but, you know, I just didn't want. And I always say, like, you know, we are there because of the people that call in. It, it's, it is what makes talk radio so cool um, is that at any moment, one call could change the out the outcome of a potential discussion and you know whether or not that's a dumb point that they bring up and maybe you know somebody calls in and makes up a terrible point like hey Matt Barkley should be the starting quarterback which I've taken mid-season I took at the end of the season I took after wins last season but you know what that conversation is still interesting and like they may not be bringing a valid point to the table but I think it's important because there are people like that caller who are thinking to themselves, hey, you know, why isn't Matt Barkley playing? And, and I don't know why they're thinking that, but at least my job is to address it and not completely just throw that guy to the side. Now, you know, when you've worked in talk radio for 20 years, your propensity to leave that guy on the line for more than five seconds is probably much shorter than mine. But I am, for the most part, willing to listen to somebody as long as they're A, being respectful, B, they don't swear on the radio, and C, are bringing something that I can either A, make fun of, or B, go off of. So I'm, I'm fine with dumb, with knowledgeable, whatever. I, I, my job exists because of people's engagement, so I'll never hate on the caller. I think it's important in those times to realize that if people aren't entertained, it won't matter. That's right. And whether or not you're being entertained by the fact that someone's having a really insightful discussion or whether or not you're being entertained by the fact that you can't believe there's somebody out there who thought Matt Barkley should start. Right. Either right. way, you're being entertained. Yeah. And I think that to your point earlier, you're not a reporter. Yeah. We're not reporters. We're not here to break news, right? We're here to give opinions that you find interesting. I don't have sources. Right. And to talk about things you would find interesting. And that's a, a very clear delineation between our job and somebody else's job. Yeah, you know, and, and I think too that that oftentimes isn't necessarily I don't want to say known. I, I feel like for the most part, people understand the differentiation between, you know, news and opinion. But you'd be surprised that in, in, in instances of me giving an opinion and someone saying, like, you're wrong. And I'm like, well, it's not. I'm not saying it as fact. It's my opinion. So, frankly, piss off because I'm not <laughs> wrong. It's my opinion. Just like your opinion is that I'm wrong. You're not totally wrong in your opinion, but you're a little wrong. Yeah, I think one of the things that I spiked the ball a little bit for what Bruce and I do, at least one thing that I do think has made us different is that we we attempt to acknowledge the sentiments yep. that people have 
that are not things that we agree with. Because the guy who's calling and saying that Matt Barkley should start, the way that I interpret that is not that that's batshit crazy, although I do think it's batshit sure. crazy. I interpret that as being, this guy is not sold on Josh Allen, right? Now, that is a communicable sentiment that I think a lot of people said share. In a way that simply isn't in a professional manner, where yeah. where is Matt Barkley would be what a caller says, but in reality, what he's saying is, I'm not sold on Josh Allen. He's just articulating that as a right. caller. It, it can be more difficult than if you're a talk show radio host. Yeah, and I think that if you if you explore that, and I think that I've heard you do this on your show, and we take we try to take time to do this. And we and, and Bruce and I are in text discussions or in you know DM threads and stuff like that where people say things, especially on Twitter. People say things that are just they're the qual you know they're quote unquote that WGR caller. And I know I'm just we kind of are exploring that that's not always the case, right? But the people who say the zany stuff. There are times where that happens and we're like, oh, my gosh, that's such a crazy thing to say. And then, you know, we try to say at the same time, like, I understand why that sentiment exists. It's because they're unsatisfied with one thing. Now, because they're unsatisfied with that thing in an attempt to solve it or address it, they are jumping to the absolute wrong conclusion. But that doesn't mean that we have to talk down to them. We can still engage with whatever it is that they're, you know, they're flirting with. Really, a lot of that's just communication skills. It's really the idea that you can acknowledge a problem via suggesting a solution. Yeah. And that's really what it is. With the Matt Barkley thing, it's it's they're really not talking about Matt Barkley. No. They're that's talking right. about something else, but they're suggesting it backwards. They're suggesting it via the solution to get to the problem. Well, their right? solution, their particular yes. solution is imposing that as their juxtaposition when really their their thought process, their opinion stems from their lack of trust in the the guy that's actually playing and 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 it's a good point and it's my job to decipher that in real time and say hey listen i get where you're coming from um but here's here are the facts of the matter and you know i think josh allen is probably the hotbed of this discussion and and i think it's funny that we can really stem a lot of different things just based on an opinion of one player um but it goes it goes beyond the point of Really, where I come to when we start talking about Josh Allen is I, is I decompose it even I break it down a little bit more than just we're talking about a player or player A versus player B. To I like to deconstruct it down to the level of think about how polarizing Josh Allen is, and just in every conversation, and then think about the thought process and think about the decision making process that 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 this organization came to that said he's the guy, and and how much you have to believe in yourself to take on a guy like Josh Allen um, speaks volumes to the trust um, in themselves, right? This organization. But I think the, the, I don't know really quite the word I'm looking for, but whatever is, is the relationship between Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, there's this level of competence that oozes out of them, that it has to ooze out of you. If you're going to take a player with the polarization that Josh Allen has just in general, to do that, you have to be incredibly comfortable in your own skin. And I think that speaks volumes to where this organization is and where it's come from. But I think also the confidence that this fan base instills with it. And this may sound corny, but I truly believe there is no one fan base with more, I don't want, maybe influence isn't the correct word, but 
I, I don't I don't know how to move away from the saying the word that this franchise's fan base has more influence on the decision making process of the organization than maybe of any other fan base in sports, not just, I mean, you, they're right up there with the Yankee fans, right? Like Yankee fans know you need to spend money to keep them happy. That's not necessarily what Bills fans say, but they set, they have this certain lure to them, um, to this organization that they know that quite frankly, the Bills have Bills fans. What else do the Bills have? You know, so I think it's it's this comfortability in their own skin. But this is a fan base with a lot of pull, and I don't think they quite understand at times the the level of pull and power and influence that the fan base can play on an organization that, for the better part of two and a half decades, have been you know the laughing stock of the league. When the Bills drafted Josh Allen, famously there was an article being put out that says if Josh Allen succeeds, the Bills will have outsmarted math Everyone. itself. Yeah. Right. And that way it got a lot of pull. And that's the kind of confidence we're talking about. Yeah. The idea that you and I just mentioned it earlier today that, that this organization believes I can take a raw lump of clay and I believe so much in the potter that we can turn something in here. You know what I mean? We can turn it into something great. Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and take a break. We will come back, and we are going to shift gears and have a, a, a different conversation about a question I have I want to pick Nate's brain on. So we will be right back with you in a minute. Enjoy this ad. Okay, Nate, here's a question that is somewhat in relationship to your, um, your affiliation with Cover One. So Cover One is a brand that has made its hay by looking at the tape, right? I mm -hmm. mean, like Eric and the guys you guys have, Fernando, I mean, you, Rob Quinn. Yeah, Rob Quinn uh, is another Quinn. I forgot there's two Quinns. Yeah, um, yeah Rob and then uh, Greg Thompson. Who's, yeah, Greg uh, and Aaron, you know, right. who I, I'm a big fan of Greg's myself, so. Yeah, so Cover One is a an outfit that, you know, the brand is, this is smart, researched, mm -hmm stuff these this is not necessarily takes right they're, right they're they're, they're it's almost they're, the anti-take yeah, there's yeah. there's opinions but there's like this is how it's supposed to be and here's what happened good bad or different right now another brand that exists in football that plays to some degree in that space is pro football focus so pff right they make a they make I a love kill. that you're bringing this up. They make, they make a killing. Yeah. And their whole shtick is that they look at every player, every play over and over and over again, right? They determine grades. They do all of this stuff. And I will admit and put my flag in the ground, and I've tweeted this a million times, and I will probably continue to tweet it a million more. The premium stats and the data aggregation that Pro Football Focus does, I mm -hmm. think it's actually like good stuff. I agree. And... Teams pay a shit ton of money because it's good stuff. What teams do not necessarily pay for or care about are the internal grades that PFF, mm -hmm. you know, comes to and determines about any player's performance, Josh Allen or anyone else, right? And PFF and Bills fans have got a pretty testy Abusive relationship. relationship. Yeah, yeah, it is not. It's not good, right? I don't think Bills fans think on the whole think terribly high of PFF and PFF has admittedly now at times said that they have, they have, they have made comments that were instigatory that were not actually anything other than trying to get a rise out of fans. They, they, I feel the same way about football outsiders. Okay. Big so fan of Aaron shots, uh, his work, his algorithms. Um, I'm just, I'm not a fan of his opinion. Yeah. So 
How do you, being affiliated with a, an organization and a brand like Cover One mm -hmm. that is playing in some sort of the same space, how do you individually think about what PFF and Football Outsiders does? So I, I wholeheartedly agree with you that Pro Football Focus um, has a real, real purpose within the football community. Um, I think that they've placed a lot of their eggs in the one purpose that I don't particularly agree has a reason, a rhyme, a reason, or a purpose um, in the football world, and that's the grading system, as you mentioned. I, I think that some of their um, the, the Pro Football Focus stats that they've come up with, some of the algorithms that they've come up with, um, they've made viewing football from a smart, intellectual way fun. Having said that, I don't believe anything that they do grade-wise is proprietary in any sort of way that makes us watching the same amount of football and being able to grade ourselves. I, I don't know what their qualifications are. I, for the most part, I'm under the impression it's mostly done by part-time and or interns. Um, and if that's the case, you know, I just, I can't get behind, um, you know, and, and sometimes too, because here's the thing is, Sam Monson, who I have a great deal of respect for, coming on and talking about grades that his website puts together for a particular player and then using that as, as lure, you know, he didn't make the grades. And if it was Sam Munson who was grading every play and, and every snap of every player, well, that's one thing. That, that That's something that maybe I'll take a little bit more seriously. But considering that the qualifications of the people making those grades simply aren't A, transparent, or B, good enough um I, I feel that you know their their reliance on their grading system has been a significant detriment for people like me who really love their content but don't particularly care for their grading system and how they use it and and that's the thing for me is you know grading trey white and 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 using Here's the thing. Stats can be easily cherry-picked, and that goes for or against any player. You can you can make a case using stats to say one player's great, and the same player, you can use stats to say he's terrible. And I think that's what makes analytics in itself part of the story and never the full story. Um, but the problem becomes is instead of using data and analytics as the full story, they're using data combined with opinion, but posing it as data. And my whole, the whole, my whole problem with their grading system isn't that they're grading. I'm fine with you grading, but don't use it as if, as if it's data. It's not data. It's not analytics. It is one thousand percent opinion and you can say that opinion is based on knowledge and i'm fine with that but your knowledge is no greater than any one person watching you are just putting in the work and i and i will never knock them for putting in the work to grade every play of every player in the league that is a lot to do having said that using or posing that data as fact or as something that is beyond opinion is where i think and and, and you'll they'll be the first to tell you that's not what's going on but they don't sell it like that. It's sold as our grades are analytics, and they are not. I think one of the things that PFF's always going to really struggle with is that they filled a role in the vacuum of football knowledge, and that is I want to be able to know how this player did. Mm -hmm. Well, we all know stats ammo. can – yeah. They're ammo. ammo. Yeah. I, I want to know how this player did, and well, oh, we got this many yards and this many – 
with basketball and with hockey and with baseball, you have easy metrics, but we can all agree. Nick and I did an entire pod on just metrics and, and put them on a scale from most le- important from, to, yep. We, we, we did most variance and most opinion to least variance and least opinion. And we understand that there are, there are interjections of human decision-making into these different algorithms. And with BFF, the first thing they're going to run into is that they tried to shorthand how a player did. And the answer is, it's not as simple as he graded a 64. It's never going to be that simple. Right. But they they wanted to fill that, and they realized accurately that fans wanted that. I 100%. want to be able to it's say, well, he, he graded a 64. He graded a two. Really quick and easy, how did this player do? I totally agree the with you. The other thing is that with the pro football focus scenario, it is a it is a situation where the person who's talking about the grade wasn't the guy to create who did the grade. The, did the grading. So how do but, we know you truly believe that? But at the, in the same breath, just like you said, in the same breath, when you say, well, PFF said this, they'll say, no, I didn't say that. Jeff said that. Right. So hold on. I want to make sure. So, so, so on one hand, you are a, you are an out, a, a kind of an entity, mm-hmm. right? A, a, an amoebic. One voice. Right. One, yeah. An amoebic entity when you, with the, when it comes to grades, because you ever, all the interns are using one manual. And so because of that, you're amoebic. Mm-hmm. Now, you're all one sort of free-flowing entity. But then when all of a sudden you get to analysis and you get to opinion, well, well, I didn't say that. You know, Sam said that or Jeff said that or Eric said that. That wasn't me. Well, hold on now. Is PFF one voice and one speak? Because that's the way it is with your grading. Or is it an opinion that's individual? And it seems like whenever you want to distance yourself from something, then it's opinion. That's right. But grades, that's all the same thing. And that's the thing that really kind of creates it because they're going to have to decide real quick because they've got all 32 teams as clients. Yeah. The, the, the way that they take the next step as a company is they've got to get the fans to buy in on it. And there's yeah. more and more and more and more and more backlash against it, partially because of things that Nick and I do regarding this. And they're going to have to find a way to overcome that. I think they're going to hope that the college grades yeah. become a scenario. That's the next step for them, using the college grades to extrapolate and predict success and at the next level. And I, and I think, too, the thing with data with analytics there's always going to be a human element in it somehow and people in the analytics community would argue that the human element is actually pivotal it's an important part of their data of their analytics is that human touch to it having said that when you bring a human in and when you take away computers and ai and raw data you add bias whether or not you're willing to admit it whether or not you believe it's even there the question becomes is is when you are grading something, what are your human biases in that particular, whether it's, you may not, you, that bias might go back to childhood. You might not particularly like San Francisco. And because of that, you are skewing grading because of a predetermined or premeditated bias. And to me, that will slip in anytime you add human elements into raw data. And as much as the human element is important to provide the context for that data, it's also important to note, acknowledge, and more importantly, say aloud that there is no way that human bias can't possibly infiltrate that data. And and I think that's their biggest issue, is they're unwilling to really admit that that human bias is, is available, especially for a person that's an intern or for a part-time employee. 
it may not be purposeful, but it doesn't matter because that is reflected in the grading system. And, and once you start to add that human element in there, that human bias comes in, that's where you start to get in trouble. And that's where you have a guy that may not be a full-time writer goes on and says, Duck Hodges is a better quarterback than Josh Allen. And now that's all Bills fans are grasping to. And it's maybe not fair to Sam Monson, who every time I'm in a tweet chain with Sam Monson, somebody comes in and says, oh yeah, Duck Hodges is better than Josh Allen. He's like, well, that wasn't me. And I'm like, hey, Sam, I get that. But that's how you guys pose it when you are right, is it's this combination. It's it's this organizational correctness. But when it's wrong, it's, well, it's not me. It's someone else. And the consistency, I think, hurts their credibility amongst fan bases in which they pick on, which there are very few. It is the Bills that they pick on. And whether or not they believe that's good for business, I do think part of me thinks they understand that Bills fans and angry Bills fans are good for business. It just is what it is. And, you know, until Bills fans can become a little less um, self-aware, um, they're going to be exploited by people who A, need clicks, but B, more importantly, want relevance. And until Bills fans are able to become a little more disciplined, um, they're going to be exploited for purposes just like that. When Nick and I did the analytics pod, we talked about how if you want no human involvement, then we have to use passing yards, mm -hmm. right? That's what you have to use. But as you get more context, you get more variance. And so if you, you graduate from raw statistics and you graduate that to raw ratios, things like passer rating, well, there's still human involvement because a human being had to decide the algorithm yep. for passer rating. And then you go farther than that and you go to things like EPA. Well, human beings set up the calculation for same, EPA, same with like right? QBR, right? Like a human decided these are the factors that will create this algorithm. You if, know what I mean? If nothing else, the human creates the boundaries. That's right. And, and the balance of an algorithm. Correct. Yeah, they, they, if nothing else, you weight things, right? Or you create, what is the, um, Bruce, uh, remind me, there's a, there's a metric. I think it's, um, it's the football outsiders one. DVOA. DVOA on second down you have to gain 60 percent of the yards to gain or it's unsuccessful there's it that may not be completely accurate but it's something along those lines and that is an arbitrary measurement that was introduced by a human so dvoa although information i just my the reason i ask this question it's a it's a cross that i bear and that I, that i it's an axe i constantly try to grind and bruce can can advocate to this because i've had so many interactions with him both in person uh, talking and via text and with guys like Joe Marino, who we're both friends with, or all three of us are friends with, mm -hmm. where it's like they present this, they present the number of times that Tremaine Edmonds was in pass coverage, the percentage of plays, they present that information with just as much confidence as Josh Allen's grade, mm -hmm. as though they are both equally um, entrenched you know, in data. Yeah, and, and like they're equally verifiable. Yeah. And that is not true. And I think that honestly, the reason I get so worked up about this and that I'm asking you about it is because for a long time, I actually did not understand that. And I it took me multiple conversations asking similar questions, but rephrasing them because I could not even dig to the crux of what the issue is. And I hope that if people listen to this for the first time and they haven't listened to our analytics pod or anything like that, that you know, anybody who is going to be getting into these dust-ups with PFF personalities or people who use PFF information as a tool to bludgeon us with, 
about a person's performance or a player's performance, you can sit back and say, and that's why, you know, personally, like what you said, I don't interact with them anymore. I, I occasionally I will like or retweet like a Duck Hodges thing because I do think that that is influential when Sam admitted that Duck Hodges, that comment was meant to be uh, basically just to instigate or to in, like, inflame people, like to get a rise out of us. That was, you know, that was a meaningful admission to me. The rest of it, I don't know. I think a really good example of this um, in terms of real time or, or if you go back to last offseason, the talk after the Bills signed Mitchell Morse, um, there became this weird, and there always is on Twitter between Bills fans and Jets fans, but this weird contempt to say Mitchell Morse is very clearly better than Ryan Khalil. When the, when the Jets signed Ryan Khalil, the question became, if you're a Jets fan, it's, well, I'm going to throw rocks at the Bills because they signed a center way for way more years and for way more term and money than the Jets signed Matt, uh, Ryan Khalil. And the thought process was, well, yeah, one's 33 years old who just retired, and the other is coming off of a season where he did not give up a sack. So, yeah, and he's 27 years old. So, yeah, no shit. Um, but you also get to a point where you're like, hey, his PFF grade, Ryan Khalil's, was almost identical to Mitchell Morse. And you ask yourself, well, how could that possibly be true that a 34 and there and that in lies what I believe I, I sort of created this doubt in my mind like I have Jets fans referencing pro football grades in order to use ammunition to tell me that Ryan Khalil is obviously better or at least close in the conversation of Mitchell Morse and I found myself sort of just taken back by that. This is what they're going to die on are these grades. And that clearly means he's better and there's no room for interpretation. And how that season ended up, I think, is a really interesting case study of grades, right? Like Ryan Khalil, I think, graded out like a 65. And I think Mitchell Morse graded out at like a 69 or 70 in 2018. So if you look at those grades, you look at those two players without any context, you say, Okay, they're not that far apart. But if you look at their on-field performance, who the hell is going to tell you that Ryan Khalil is better and or even on the same planet as Mitchell Morse? Nobody that's watched it, but it doesn't matter if you can use someone else's data that's supposed to be an end-all, be-all and say, hey, I've got the data to prove it because that's how they pose it. And quantifying film grades on paper is, is an idea. It's something that's, that's interesting because one of the things Nick and I talked about with growing PFF grades is it's one of the only metrics that can be used that can accommodate for things like quarterback makes a great throw mm -hmm. and the receiver drops it. The only metric out there that can make sure that that's a positive play for a quarterback is a PFF grade. So we understand that with additional human beings, it's necessary. You have to add human element to get context mm -hmm. because the the AI doesn't know context. No. The raw it numbers don't provide know. it. It cannot provide it. So it's with, black and white. With the pursuit of context, then comes also additional human involvement, additional human opinion, which is okay as long as we're willing to admit and that. And being transparent about it. As long as we're willing to admit that, listen, in the pursuit of context, right? there has to be human involvement because yeah. humans are the only ones capable of providing that context. And I'm okay with that as long as you know up front and you say up front, listen, the reason why these things exist is because we cannot get what we want from traditional statistics. Right. So w when we had raw statistics, great. 
we have 3,000 passing yards. What does that not give you? Well, it doesn't give you opportunity. 3,000 passing yards on 500 attempts or 3,000 passing yards on 200 attempts. Right. Well, that's very different. So then we move up from that to raw ratios, yards per attempt, yards mm-hmm. per carry. Okay, that's great. Well, that doesn't give us stuff either. And so we start moving, moving, moving you, farther, your, farther, your desire, farther down. The, your desire for knowledge continue, and this just goes for football fans in general, their desire for knowledge has created more contextualized statistics and data however in order to continue to grow or to or to continue to advance in that area the only way to do so is by adding more human element it's the only true way to scale data into the into mainstream football and we understand that's necessary and i think on an intellectual level we understand that's necessary but we just have to be willing to be transparent and be admit listen the reason why we're doing this is because you don't get context from this. Now, we understand that those things also come with flaws. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have the context that a human brings without the bias yep. that a human brings. That's right. And you can't pose it as you're getting one without the other. Right. Because that is exactly how it's being posed is, hey, listen, I get everyone else and their mother will would put bias, but we would never put bias into what we do. It's all, it's all data. It's all numbers driven. And that's just unfortunately kind of what it's being posed as so people without the ability to decipher that or to understand deeper than just what is being presented that what it takes to develop a DVOA stat and that's that's why it's impressive that's why all of us look at it and say hey that guy spent the time he spent the the the, the time the money the resources to to develop and and flush that statistic out DVOA is one of them right but in that is also this desire for us. Okay, well, we've got this. How do we how do we take this to the next level? But the only true way to take it to the next level is by adding that human element. And I think we could probably hammer this home all day. But I think as we sort of digress away from you know standard raw statistics into more advanced analytics, there needs to be, as you mentioned, this this transparency with the consumer because that, at the end of the day, is the most important person to have transparency with. Is listen, the teams they know better not to. They're not using grades for PFF. They're not. So the transparency with the consumer becomes that much more powerful because overarching, you look at the NFL. Well, if NFL teams are using PFF, then why aren't I using PFF for everything? And and I think what then comes down to is. Well, the common person doesn't know that PFF isn't being used by the NFL teams for grade purposes. It's for their raw or for their advanced statistics. But everything gets lumped into that. And then so what it becomes is is this sort of, I don't know, lack of transparency with the consumer. And, and for me, if, if football is going to continue to grow in popularity, the one thing that we all need to just be honest about is how we're consuming the game. And when it appears one organization is trying to muddy that water, uh, people like us who can see through the bullshit kind of say, hey, 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 like, we understand your relevance and your importance, but let's not kid ourselves. And more importantly, let's tell people the truth behind this instead of posing ourselves as something that we're not. Amen, man. Just, just, just preach. Just preach it. This turned into a, 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 a not necessarily a roast of PFF, but it turned into a um, context, a very nuanced conversation about um, about statistics that yeah. um, I'm happy was had. Yeah. So let me let me do this before we take a break. So so everybody knows, you know, we're at Kelly's Corner in Buffalo. We're getting wings, beef on weck, chicken fingers, all that stuff is being prepared and going to be out here shortly. So we will 
finish this conversation, take a break, and then come back and we'll talk about the food that we're having and, and all that stuff. Because this is all three of us the first time here. This is your first my time. My first time. We're all virgins. Right. So I know yep. it's Bruce and my first time. So we will get to enjoy that together. But I do want to ask, you know, if you want to stump a little bit for what you do or what Cover One does, mm -hmm. being that you're familiar with them and, and, and that you're a part of their brand, you know, they... Cover One has, I think, collectively raised the IQ intelligence level. Yeah, the, yeah. the IQ level of the of the average Bills fan. Now, I don't know that it, it wasn't like the appetite for that wasn't there, but I don't even think people knew that it was really an option unless you really went searching for it uh, and going just to things that weren't your team specific, but just football specific in general. That you would learn about some of the the kind of film study and all that that Eric and and everybody else at Cover One provides. And you know, I started the question about PFF. Mm -hmm comparing that to cover one being yep. a place that also looks at the film. So um, give us a little bit of an idea about how cover one is significantly different. I mean, obviously they are, but I'll, yeah. let, I'll let you phrase it in your own terms. So it's not our job to tell you uh, grades. What it is that, that I found that that was refreshing about Eric and about cover one is that everyone that consumes the game, everyone that is a draft geek, everyone that, that follows along all season long for 12 months, you're a 12 month football fan. The thing you consistently heard was, hey, just, just go back to the film. Uh, or, or, hey, like, uh, just study the film on this guy. Then you'll know. And I think for the most part, people kept hearing that and not fully understanding, like, okay, like, what am I going to get from the film? Like, how could I potentially? So what Eric did and what the, 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 the bridge that he was able to, or the gap that he was able to bridge with the community, particularly here in Buffalo, was here's what they mean by, hey, just take a look at the film, right? Like, I remember there was a summer day where him and I um, broke down Nathan Peterman in his, in his rookie season, in, in, in a preseason game. Um, and a lot of people, and what essentially the conclusion we came to is, this is going to be a player that we believe is going to fight for not only a roster position, but at some point this season it's going to get playing time. That was his rookie training camp. We had a full film breakdown of, his, of a preseason game of his, and we both agreed that based on his skill set that we saw on film and, the, and his willingness to throw the ball indicated to us that with their short lease of Tyrod Taylor, that we were going to see Nathan Peterman at some point. And I think a lot of people called us crazy in that, in that summer, thinking to yourself, well, listen, Tyrod Taylor, what, what, who the hell's Nathan Peterman, blah, blah, blah. And what we were able to really do was distinguish the reasons why we believed Nathan Peterman was going to have an opportunity, whether it was that season or the following season, based on the things and the techniques and the gives um, that we saw on film. And I cannot go back to that Nathan Peterman film because it was one of my favorite ones. Um, but, you know, I think more importantly is we're not there to pose an opinion or use film to give you an opinion. What our job is to do and what our job was to do during those film breakdowns was to break down the film in a way that helped people understand what it meant to break down film and tell them what they're supposed to see on a given play. Because I think a lot of people will look at it at all 30, or, and, and all 22, or look at um, a coach's film, or even game broadcast, and not exactly know why or whom it is that they need to watch in a particular play, or why they're watching them. So I think what we were able to do is bridge that gap and say, hey, listen, on this particular play, the reason you want to look at the left tackle is because the development, on, you know, it just, for us, it was educating people on, on to consume football in a more intellectual way. And instead of telling them, hey, here's our grades for this game, it was, here's what we saw. 
to come to the conclusion that Josh Allen had a good football game. Hey, against popular consensus, Josh Allen's game wasn't as bad as maybe the statistics or the box score or the national media poses. Here's why. And and I think that people appreciate that because they see this level of, of hot takery, which I'm part of, um, but it, 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 it took away from saying, hey, this is my take, accept it, move on to this is what everyone's take is, here's what we believe reality is, and here's why. And, and I think it was a fresh take on not only consuming football, but I think there's a real niche market out there for people that want to learn, that, that want to become this, when they're on Sundays, that they're watching particular positions, they're watching particular aspects of the game, they're watching particular scheme giveaways, right, where you want to feel like when a quarterback makes an audible that you know why he's making that audible. And I feel like people want that. Like people want to know why, um, you know, you're going to check to a run on a certain play. And when you watch it in slow motion and you watch a, a defense adjust to what you're doing and then watch the quarterback audible, I think a lot of people thought to themselves like, hey, why did he make that change? Whether or not it was successful, I just, I think people wanted to know why. And, and I think that's really where the value of cover one comes in is, um, we were able to provide the, the necessary film context that you just couldn't get during a full-speed live broadcast. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think Bruce and I both appreciate everything that Cover One brings to Bills fans and how it has helped change the conversation amongst our fan base specifically. So um, with that, we will go ahead and take a break, and we will come back to you whenever we have some food in front of us. Thanks so much, everybody. Stick with us. Thank you, fellas. I appreciate it. Wow. Oh, baby. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> I'm just whisper this one. The real star of the show, though, is somebody I don't think you're going to be hearing from. It's this plate of... No way they're hearing from it. <laughs> you know, this plate of, what, 20 hot wings? These are the medium fingers. Oh, boy. Here's chicken fingers. Those are, yeah, those are a good size. Those are handsome. <laughs> uh, it's got a cajun feel to it. Smoky. I'm all about it. Yeah. I forgot we did all this. <laughs> yeah, mistakes were made. Negative. Great decisions were made. Wow. Yep. All right. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> wow. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat, along with me. Bruce Noah. <laughs> and our our partner in crime today is uh, Mr. Nate Geary. Triple N, baby. Triple N. So we are at Kelly's Corner in Buffalo. And uh, we just got delivered to our table five chicken fingers that are garlic parm, five chicken fingers that are mild, and 20 hot wings, a basket of fries, and we still have beef on weck on the way. Yeah, we're sick. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to do our best to just kind of explain a little bit about what you could experience if you were to come here and dig in Ooh. to this awesome food, your next opportunity here in this part of town. So first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the wings. The wings, we got the hot, which is a house sauce. House sauce. It, it, is, it is not like your Frank's Red Hot-based sauce. Now, I believe there, there may be some kind of Frank's in it, but the big thing is that there is a, there is a significant amount of spice. Yes. And I mean spices. Cajun spice. I, I mean spices in like, you know, ground powder spices that are mixed into this sauce. There's definitely some pepper flakes. Definitely, I think, some chili powder because there is a oh, wow. smokiness to them. And they are awesome. Garlic parm. Garlic parm, baby. Wow. 
So I am having the garlic parm chicken fingers. I had two of the hot wings, and I can attest to everything that Nick just said about the hot wings being, you know, proprietarily really good. It's this is not a, you know, this is not dump Frank's red hot and butter into a into a thing and w- mix it up. That's not what it is. And Maybe the love. love, she says that love is this hidden ingredient. But oh my God. the garlic that. parm no, you, you the chicken garlic fingers yeah. are are oh legit. Goodness. Nick over here to my right is is not respecting the laws of pods because he's it's so good that he just had to exclamation like exclaim outside how good it was to reflect the feeling he was having inside. So I understand that you know bursts of joy that just come out. Dude, those garlic parm are crazy. Uh-huh. Nate just Nate's smashing some of those right now uh-huh. too. I mean, buttery. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. That is like one of the best fingers I've ever had. The finger is like so crispy, and then the inside—they're so big that the inside of the meat is still like moist. It's not yes, dried out at all, at all. But the the sauce is like oh, buttery and herby. That's awesome. It's everything you'd want. I see. I have now identified the next wing I will be going after, and holy cow, this was desirable to say the least. Okay, fellas, here's your beef. Oh my God. And the beef on wax are being delivered. I'll be checking on you. Give us a little while. Thank you so much. (laughs) All right, and the beef on wax have been delivered. Wow. Guys, we got entirely too much food. That's the point of these, though, right? Something like that, yeah. Woo! As you'd expect, the blue cheese is a high quality. Mm -hmm. Is that Ken's? That's no knock against Ken's, but I appreciate a place that... Well, places in Cleveland, it's way worse than Ken's, trust me. We would, we would take Ken's every now and then in Cleveland. Wow. Whew. Now, the real excitement is this sandwich, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited. Bruce is a no-horseradish guy. Oh, I am... I'll take all of your horseradish. I am a no-horseradish guy. I am... Um, I just, I really like the simplicity associated with having that that roast beef. And I don't want something to take my mind away from the roast beef, you know? And so when we had it with Charlie the Butcher, at Charlie the Butcher with Tim Graham, um, I was was sold on beef on Weck at that point. I had it at O'Neill's when I came up uh, a couple months ago. And so that was that your like first real like authentic Buffalo beef on Weck experience? With Charlie the Butcher with Tim Graham, first ever beef on Weck. Wow. A lot of the buffalo food pods that we did this past summer were to introduce me to some of the buffalo stuff because I was not born here. I was not raised here. I spent basically no meaningful time here my entire life. And so some of the stuff that you all, you know, just understand as being normal, I had never experienced before. So there was a um, there was a lone fry that wound up in the garlic parm butter on the plate. I snatched that bastard up. (laughs) So, okay, let me try to just give some people some context on this stuff. So let's go, let's go back through. The, first of all, the chicken fingers are ginormous. Yes. I mean, there are three grown men here, and I think that one single order of chicken fingers would be big enough for us for to... For all of us to be full. To literally split. Bruce, do you concur on that? The chicken finger, I'm using that term very loosely, yeah, is essentially a chicken breast. Each one of the fingers is essentially a chicken breast. It is large enough that were you a suburban housewife on a diet, it would be sufficiently sized. I mean, basically all of us, really, when you boil it down. And if you were going to try to, you know, I'm going to cut back, I'm going to have some grilled chicken and some veggies, it would be roughly the size of one of these fingers. Right. 
Okay, well, I'm going in on the sandwich right now. It is loaded with horseradish, per my request. Wow, that is meaty. I don't even know how to... The sandwich was probably about three inches tall in the middle. Yeah. <clears throat> Just beef, very juicy, it looks like. Bruce and, Bruce and Dave have both take bite. I'll let them describe it. The ability for a beef on weck to be chewy mm. on the inside and still have that slow roasted flavor without being soggy on the outside. And one of the things I, I run into my personal preferences, sometimes you'll have a beef on weck that has too much salt and caraway on the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because of it, I can't really focus on the roast beef, and that is not the case here at all. It is fantastic. Um, this is right up there with Charlie the The last thing you need, in my opinion, for a good beef on whack is like the bun serves a purpose. Don't get me wrong. But, oh yeah, you need that. This bun serves its purpose, and I think it adds to the elements of the sandwich with the kimmelwick and, and the salt on top. But let me just tell you, there's nothing worse than a hard bun something that will like rip apart the top of your mouth you know it's, it's a beef on weck it's not a weck with beef right yeah this is outstanding the horseradish sends it to another level so i just had my first couple bites of beef on weck i had a bite without horseradish and then a ho- bite with the beef you i mean the horseradish if you like it it's good here like it, it, this is fresh this is great stuff if you are a person who just wants it without it's still very very good the meat definitely has outstanding, like a, a juiciness, and like Bruce said, like a like the right kind of chew that you want for like a shaved a shaved beef. Really terrific. Wow. The, the the weck is great. The bun is soft. The salt and the caraway are perfect. The bun is holding together. It's not at all disintegrating. And uh, high marks for sure. I actually. I actually will say that I think I, I like this sandwich better than the one we had at Charlie the Butcher. I guess I'm just going to have to go back. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, sense. that's the only realistic... It's the only real way to know. You know, you want to try and eliminate human error. We talked about that on the last pod, you know? I didn't necessarily think that the star of the show, though, would be these garlic parm chicken fingers. And I think that might be the star of the show. You were, on a, you were not expecting that. I just... I was expecting that... And, and it's not to take away from anything here, but... Outstanding. For me, the fingers are by far the thing that is like better than any other finger yes, you're ever like going to get. Very distinguishable from anywhere else. The wings, yeah. like, listen, I mean, it's hard to find, it's come hard across a bad wing in Buffalo. So I was always expecting the wings to play their part. Um, but I did not. I, John Scott of, uh, of Spectrum News, he warned me and said the chicken, make sure you get the chicken fingers because they are the best thing here is the chicken fingers. And to your point, I would say they're like pounded out chicken breasts, but I don't don't even think they're pounded. I think they're just legitimate chicken breasts, deep fried in the most unbelievable, delicious, crunchy out exterior. It's like holy hell. So I'm gonna circle back to the wings. The wings are, I mean, they are of a great caliber. They are a good wing for the city of Buffalo. Yep. The cook is right. The size is right. The blue cheese is good. Here's what I will say is if you like hot, okay, you like a regular Frank's hot or you like Cajun or you like just, you know, a a sauce that tastes a little bit different than what you're going to get anywhere else. The sauce here is worth it. 
the sauce yeah. here. If you worth want the price of admission, yeah. If you're worth, if you want to go get a wing, and you want to have a sauce that is on the spicier end, but is different. The hot here is not your traditional hot by any means. It is a smoky. It is as Cajun, unique as it gets. It is yeah. a smoky Cajuny hot that still has some of that like regular vinegar cayenne bite, but it has so much additional flavor in it that it is terrific. So, the wings, as far as like their cook and all that, I mean they're they're exactly what you want. But yeah, the the beef on weck is tremendous. I mean, it, it's a three ingredient, you know, it's a three ingredient dish. So right. how much can you how much can you dig into it? But the beef is very well cooked. It's not at all dry or overcooked. And uh, this is an experience. Yeah, this is terrific. Yeah. Regular listeners of the Nick and Nolan show will be very happy to know that Nick is handling the hot wings just fine. He's doing really Here great. We go. And I don't think he started hiccuping yet. He's not sweating. There has been there no, no sweat, no no significant signs of distress from which is from key. Nick. The the wings, you know, this hot sauce it gives you just that right kind of burn you want on your lips if you're into that stuff. Nope. But yeah, not at all like a lingering heat that you have to kind of like take almost multiple, you have to combat with. Yeah, multiple gulps of a, of any drink to compete with. Um, not at all. So I'm trying the medium um, fingers right now which is like kind of the last dish of this whole thing. And um, it's a Frank sauce. But they add something a little extra in there. This is what I would say probably most places hot is, um, is this level of Frank's. But they've added, maybe it's a cayenne, maybe it's like a sriracha of some sort, but there's this level of like sweetness almost to this that I think I need you both to try so I have hit my, I have finished my beef on wick. That was tremendous. Really, the cook on the chicken finger, before I even get into the sauce, I mean, just the, the, the breading on it. You know, chicken fingers, you can have the frozen ones, and you can have them, you've had them at school, or you've gotten them at kids' meals at restaurants. This is a level of, like, crispy outside that's yes. almost like a cutlet, like a, like a, like a pan-fried cutlet. It is so... I totally agree with that. It is so good. All right, I'm going to grab a medium one, and then we're going to get Bruce's feedback on his medium. Sometimes when you go to a restaurant and you get, like, chicken fried steak, chicken fried chicken, you end up with um, a, a crust that is almost separate from the yes. inside. That's what you're getting a lot with these wings. Well, sorry, with the wings, with the chicken fingers. You're getting a crust that is almost independent, sitting on top of the chicken rather than getting in it. And so because of that, it doesn't get mushy. no. It doesn't get mushy. It almost the... maintains like if, if it fall if it fell off like you could just eat the crust yep. by itself. Yep. And I think that that's that's interesting because you know it might not work in like a sandwich because if you went it to go bite wouldn't. it a piece of it would come off and then you know but given the fact that you're eating it with a fork it's one of those scenarios where it feels like you're you know you're having a chicken fried chicken or chicken fried steak. Also, we all recognize how incredibly ludicrous this content is. We're literally eating and then talking about the things we're eating. Yeah, <clears throat> it's this is this is this is what mom said. This this is what adulthood would be like. That's what she they told it. me. I mean, uh-huh. he said she said little Bruce, Brucey, of course, right. as my mother would call me, Brucey. She would say, you know, someday, you know, things aren't going to come as easy for you. And I said, well, mother, let me just tell Phil, you, you know, I just ate a great meal and talked about it into a microphone, and people listened. At least four. Okay, I've eaten a medium wing. 
Uh, you've eaten a medium uh, I've, I've finger. Eaten, okay, I've eaten a medium finger. And, yes, the medium finger has a great Frank's spice. I mean, but like, it's... It's yeah. it's yeah. not a basic Frank spice. No, no, no. There's there's definitely there is a there is a sweetness in it um, that you that you you wouldn't expect necessarily. It's not just Frank's and butter. There is something else going on in here, but it's very very good. And the medium has enough spice that if you like just a traditional Frank's based sauce, this is still going to probably have enough spice that you're going to be you're going to be satisfied and okay with it. I'm going to have another garlic parm finger and then I think might chip at some wings and then I think I'm out. Yeah, I think I'm I'm close to bowing myself. Boys, I am not eating another fucking bite though. No, I'm no. telling you that much. I'm hurting right now. I'm, I'm just, I might need to walk it off. I'm really excited. <laughs> Ugh, okay, Nate just threw in the towel. Nate's, yeah. Nate's like breathing heavy and walking around the table. Oh, okay everybody. Whoa. This has not exactly been the most cohesive thing you're ever going to listen to. But You'll enjoy it nonetheless. No, that's right. That's right. So here's where we stand. We have smashed this food, and we all have boxes going home because we just couldn't take care of it. Now, pardon me. If you want to see what we were dealing with, go to Nate's Twitter. He, he has a couple photos up on his Twitter of the spread that we had. Here come the hiccups. It's right not here. hiccups. These are just burps <laughs> just at capacity. Don't lie, man. Don't lie. Yeah, no. I'm good. The heat, the heat is great here. The heat is very enjoyable. This is not at all like Nate. You've had the barbell heat. We had this yes. conversation off air. So the barbell, the barbell hot is nothing to be, nothing to joke about. The barbell hot's nothing to joke about. This comes in with a totally. I don't want to use it as like this buzzword, but that's hot sauce with nuance. That's yeah. hot sauce with, as as our lovely waitress put it, love. Yeah. Right. There is just this level of. You can tell that there it's there's a lot of depth to the hot sauce. It's not like there's a level of like maybe some normal franks, but then you you add in some smoked paprika, some chili flakes. I mean, it, it that is that is a sauce. It is not heat for the sake of heat. Right. It is not heat without context. It's heat that is brought on by the flavors that you chose to add. Heat is the byproduct rather than the intention. We found out after she brought us our boxes, some people mix the garlic parm sauce with the house hot sauce and get a hot garlic parm, which sounds Which incredible. is going to bring us back yeah, more absolutely. than likely. Yeah. Now, I would encourage a person the first time here to have them separately yeah. so you know how good they are individually and then try them together. That's what I would recommend, but you can do it wherever you want, obviously. The fingers themselves... Incredibly cooked. You got to try those. The wings are very good. You can get the sauces on the fingers, though. But if you want wings, you're not at all going to be disappointed here. Um, Here's can I can I say my my thing with the chicken fingers that I I fully endorse and respect about is they were sauced up. They were saucy, and up until the very last bite, which is just moments ago, which is roughly about 25 minutes since the food arrived incredible crunch still remained yeah. even though they were saucy and about 25 minutes old yeah they were basically they were immersed or dipped yes. in sauce but the, the the breading was still crunchy super good uh, terrific french fries were fine you said they're better than Duff's better than Duff's fries I think yeah. they're pretty run of the mill french fries yep. but um, they, they get a big basket of them which is great you can use it to eat up all this wonderful delicious sauce which I think is definitely the selling point of Kelly's Corner along with the fingers and then the beef on weck it's just a, it's just a really solid good beef on weck sandwich I, I mean it's a three ingredient item um, but super super good so 
Um, we're going to just go ahead and wrap this up. It's going to be a Nicky Nolan show with uh, Nate, so an N and N and N show. We're going to go ahead and uh, sign off for the week. We hope that you enjoyed this little change of pace. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NickBat, N-I-C-K-B-A-T. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And Nate? You can find me at Nate Geary, WGR, and at any local establishment serving chicken wings. There you go. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Until next week, whenever we are back with a normal Nick and Nolan episode. I know it's going to be difficult. you got to wait a little while. But go ahead and check out the on-demand episode from the show that we did with Nate earlier this week. If you haven't already listened to that on Sports Talk Saturday, you can find it under Sports Talk Saturday on your favorite podcast app. And while you're waiting for us to come back next week, check out Nate on his normal Sports Talk Saturday spot. And don't forget this. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. <laughs> <laughs>